Amen. Thank you so much, guys. If you have a copy of God's Word, please take it and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And, uh, as Mr. Bechtold makes his way off the stage here, what you need to know is Nathan Bechtold is our resident Renaissance man. Uh, Nathan is our youth minister. Uh, Zach's out today, and we have such a talented and a gifted pastoral staff team that we have people that can just jump in and lead and hit the ground running. Can we thank Nathan for leading us this morning? Yeah. John 18, we find ourselves watching Jesus on his way to the cross. And as Jesus is going to the cross, we know that he's encountered some serious, serious opposition. Last week we saw that, in fact, four forces come to oppose Jesus. And today, Jesus is going to square off with one of the more formidable forces at work in the time in which he lived, and that is the Jewish authorities. Jesus is going to tackle the top Jewish authority living at the time, the high priest of the nation of Israel. And while that's who Jesus is going to interact with, we need to notice that the writer, the Apostle John, is going to want to point us to who the true high priest really is. This morning... I want to show you who the true high priest really is and why that matters for your life. John chapter 18, we're going to be in verses 13 through 27 this morning. Would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? John chapter 18, verse 13 and following. It says, first they led Jesus to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to a servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, 
bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we pray that you would be exalted. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak through your word to our hearts. Would you help us as we listen to you today to not only be hearers of your word, but also doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage of scripture starts with a question. Who is the true high priest? John gives us an introduction to the high priest. He introduces him as Caiaphas, whose father-in-law was Annas. And so before we jump into this, we need a little background on who the high priest is. The high priest was an office from the Old Testament that God instituted, and it was a person that was meant to stand between God and the people. The high priest was to represent the people before God and offer sacrifices. And in turn, he was to represent God, in a sense, to the people. He was to bring forgiveness and healing and mercy through these sacrifices, pointing them to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus. Moses had a brother named Aaron, and Aaron and his son's descendants fulfilled the role of high priest. But here's the interesting thing about this section. John records this account in a way so as to ask this question. Who is the true high priest? One of the ways John introduces this is he's introducing this to people who would have known that Caiaphas was the high priest. But it's also known at this time that Annas his father-in-law had been a high priest. And as you read through this account, one of the things I want you to notice is that John intentionally leaves some things vague about the identity of this high priest as if to draw in his listeners and readers into trying to discover who the true high priest actually is. Now, John gives us a hint of this in verse 14. Look back in your Bibles at verse 14. He hints to the answer in verse 14. He says, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas was a politician, a consummate politician, and he had given counsel that it would be better for Jesus to die than for his followers to continue to grow And the Roman authorities come in and kill thousands of Jews. 
Now, what John wants you and I to see, however, is that while Caiaphas is concerned with the wrath of the Romans, God is sovereignly orchestrating these events so as to deal with his wrath towards sin. John wants us to see that even in the misunderstanding of the high priest, God is sovereignly working and moving to reach his desired goal. And what we're meant to be encouraged by is the reality that no one can thwart God's plans and purposes. That includes the universe and the kind of big picture things that are happening here on these pages before us. But God's sovereign guidance also drills down into the intimate details of every one of your lives. God is sovereignly moving and working to bring you to his desired end. The Bible says it this way, that he who began a good work will complete it in you until the day of Christ Jesus. So the reason that's important for you and for me is we can lay our heads on our pillow at night and rest easy knowing that God sovereignly is ruling and reigning in this world. Before John answers this question, though, he wants to deal with another issue that Jesus has mentioned previously. You see, previously Jesus had predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And it's to that Peter that the camera of the Bible now turns. We see Peter following reluctantly. Look in your Bibles at verse 15. Peter's following along, but I want you to notice to how Peter responds when he's in the presence of just the high priest's servants. Look in verse 15. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Peter was following Jesus kind of at a distance. As Jesus goes into the courtyard of the high priest, he stays at the door. Another disciple is mentioned here in your copy of God's Word. This is most likely a reference to John. Now, John doesn't identify himself, even though he's writing this, because he doesn't want the focus to shift to him. He wants the focus to stay on Peter. Watch what Peter's doing. So John sends word to the servant girl at the door to bring Peter in. And as this servant girl is bringing Peter into the presence of the high priest, she casually asks him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter denies it. He denies knowing Jesus. Now here's what's confusing. This is the same Peter who last week in the garden drew his sword 
and cut off someone's ear so as to protect Jesus. He was presumably ready to lay his life down to defend Jesus Christ. And now he's denying being his disciple. In fact, John takes it one step further in the Bible. He even tells us in verse 18 that John or Peter was warming himself by the fire with the high priest's servants. And this is John's way of saying not only does he deny Jesus, he's actually fellowshipping and communing with the people that are trying to kill Jesus. Now here's what I've wrestled with all week when I've been studying this. Why does Peter deny Jesus? At a basic level, we know the answer. Sin, he's, there's a level of deception in his life. But how did he go from being ready to die for Jesus to being intimidated by the lowest of the high priest's servants? A young girl guarding the door. My conclusion and my belief, given the way John's written this, is Peter was intimidated by the wrong high priest. I believe the reason Peter caved under pressure is he was intimidated by the high priest, even one of his lowest of servants. You see, Peter was a good Jew. He was somebody who understood and respected the office of high priest. And when he's brought into the high priest's presence, even when a young girl puts him on the spot, she sends him running for the hills. And what we're meant to see is John wants to point out that Peter is deceived about who the true high priest really is. And here's why this is important for you this morning. If we're deceived about who the true high priest is, we also run the risk of denying Jesus in our lives. If we're deceived about who the king really is, we run the risk of denying Christ today. You see, most of us won't deny Jesus in the same way Peter did. Most of the way I see people denying Christ today is through their silence. When something comes up and you know you should say something, most of the way I see people denying Jesus today is by remaining quiet. When somebody asks you tomorrow at work, how was your weekend? And you never mentioned Jesus. You never mentioned Christ. You talk about cutting the grass. You talk about the game on the weekend. But the highlight of your week, Christ proclaiming him, if that never comes up, there's a sense in which we're intimidated by the wrong authority. What Peter displays for us is a deception, a blindedness about who the true high priest really is. Now John's going to turn his attention and answer that question very succinctly. We're going to see who the high priest really is as we watch Jesus respond to this Jewish tribunal that he's before. Look in verse 19 and see how Jesus does this. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and teaching. And Jesus answered him, 
I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, if you read a commentary or a study Bible about these verses, you'll see them spending a lot of time trying to figure out who's questioning Jesus right now. There's some confusion about who the high priest actually is in this passage. Now, here's my contention. I do not believe that's accidental. I don't think John was in a hurry to get to lunch when he was writing this and forgot to iron out this problem. I believe John is intentionally vague about the identity of the high priest and the location of the high priest and where Jesus is being questioned to pull us in again to see who really is the high priest. And here's the answer. Jesus Christ is our true high priest. Jesus Christ is the one we need representing us before God. Jesus is the only one that can stand between God and us and provide forgiveness and grace. You'll remember that in the Gospel of John, Jesus is presented as being fully God, always existing. He's never not existed. He's always been. He always will be. He's God. And also fully human. He experienced pain. He had emotions. He experienced fatigue. But we know that while Jesus was fully human and fully God, he was one person. Now here's what makes that so special. Because Jesus is fully God and fully human, he can represent humanity before God. But because he's fully God and fully human, he can also represent God to us. The best analogy I could use to describe what's happening with Jesus is that of a courtroom. One of the more famous trials in the last 20 or 30 years is the trial of a man named Orenthal James Simpson. Anybody know who that is? O.J. The Juice, right? Uh, It was quite a trial. He was accused of double homicide. In fact, I'm curious, how many of you watched part of the O.J. trial? Raise your hand if you watched part of it. Okay. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Okay, so all the kids. <laughs> Ask your mom and dad on your way home. Okay. One of the interesting components of the O.J. trial was that O.J. Simpson assembled this dream team of lawyers. One of the lawyers that he had on his team was a guy named Johnny Cochran. How many of you remember Johnny Cochran? <laughs> All right, I'm going to need some audience participation here, okay? Johnny's famous phrase, right? If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. 
we still remember that 20 some odd years later. And it was that famous phrase, along with some other tactics on the part of the defense, that got O.J. acquitted for double homicide. Now, the point is this. O.J.'s lawyers represented him. They did everything in their power, some might argue legally and illegally, to try to represent his interests in court. And what I'm saying to you is that we need representation in God's court. All of us stand before God guilty because of our sin. And the only one worthy to defend us and represent us in court before God is Jesus Christ. This is why Though we have some commonalities with Roman Catholicism, this is why predominantly we do not associate closely with Roman Catholics. Because Roman Catholicism teaches that the Pope is the one, in a sense, who's standing between God and the people. We don't believe the Pope is our representative. We don't believe the Pope is our high priest. We believe a man cannot fill that role. We believe the only one who can fill that role is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can represent us. I want to show you from this passage two pieces of evidence that support the reality that Jesus is the true high priest. Number one, I want you to see the power, excuse me, the authority of Jesus. Number one, see the authority of Jesus. When he's asked in verse 19 by the high priest about his disciples and his teaching, he answers authoritatively. He answers with uh, a sense of authority and power that says he's really in charge of this entire engagement. In fact, when he's even struck on the face, Jesus still responds with authority and indignation almost. Because what he's communicating is he's really in charge. So watch this. Both in the garden, when they come to arrest him, and both in the courtyard, when he's bound and being questioned, though there are others that appear to be in authority... What John makes clear is actually Jesus is the true authority. Think about this with me. Jesus is communicating to people he created. He's submitting and allowing them a level of authority over his own creation. And so what John wants us to see is that while Jesus may stand there bound... He nevertheless is the one who's in real authority in the situation. It points to him being the high priest. The second thing we see in this passage is the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Look back in verse 20 as he answers the high priest. He says, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple 
where all the Jews come together, I have said nothing in secret. Now notice this, church, verse 21. Why do you ask me these questions? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. What Jesus here emphasizes is part of his proof as high priest is that his disciples are testimonies of his power. He says, if you really want to know if I'm the one that can represent God to the people and the people to God, look at the changed lives of my followers. The transforming power of grace is the proof in the pudding. It's the proof of who God is. And so what that tells us is that the way we witness and relate to other people is a testimony, should be a a proof, as it were, of what God's doing in our lives, which would lead me to make this statement. Our love and witness to others is proof Jesus is the true high priest. The way you and I relate to and respond to people, the way we love them, is a sign that we have been redeemed and saved by this true high priest. One of the reasons I mention that is because we're living in a day when our culture tends to highlight our differences and our disagreements in kind of polarizing ways. One of the liabilities we're facing right now as a church in this country is that we are living in a day of unprecedented opportunity for the expansion of the gospel. Now, if you know that, today we are living with unprecedented opportunity that the world has never seen. And where we're seeing it is with a group of people called refugees. I'm just going to let that hang out there for a minute. Refugees. Now, I know when I say that word, immediately all of our political antennas go way up there. Did you feel it? I felt it. All of you got this glare at me. There's a, there's, a, there's a political environment right now around that word that may make it difficult for us to see the opportunity that's in front of us. Let me be clear. I believe that we need to be careful, try to protect our citizens from people that would harm us, not minimizing that important reality. However, Never let a political debate about whether people should be coming here blind us from the fact that we still have a mandate to go to them. We have a heavenly commission that overrides our earthly concerns that tells us we should go. Now, the reason I say that is because when I say we have an unprecedented opportunity, what I mean is this. There are people right now that are more opening to, open to hearing the gospel than they may have ever been in the history of the world. There is this 
thing called a refugee highway. How many of you have heard that phrase, the refugee highway? A few of you have. People coming out of Syria, coming out of Afghanistan, coming into places like Turkey and Greece, moving on to Europe. There is this mass movement of people. And lest we see that primarily as a liability, and a security problem, though it is, there are challenges that are created with that movement. What you need to know is that those people, many of them believe Islam has failed them. It believes Islam has not delivered on what it promised. And they're saying, does Jesus have anything for me? And heaven forbid that we're not ready to answer that question because we're too bogged down in some of our political debates. Church family, I want us to be careful about seeing Muslim people as subhuman or separate and not worthy of God's love. I want us to be careful that we don't believe, that we don't end up saying, you know, Jesus is a really big deal, but, but I don't really think he's for these people. Let me tell you what drives our view of humans. Every single person needs Jesus as their high priest. Whether they're from Iran, whether they're from Afghanistan, whether they're from Syria, whether they're from Mexico, whether they're from America, we all need Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss it. I'm telling you, I sat in rooms this past week at the International Mission Board headquarters. I'm a trustee for the IMB. I sat this past week in meetings where we are sending hundreds of people into this refugee highway. And you know what's happening? Churches are starting in refugee camps. Baptisms are happening in the middle of these camps where these Muslim people are saying, I'm hopeless. My whole world's been shattered. What else is there? And we have people that are there ready to say, Christ died for you. One of the ways we will be the distinct people of God in America in 2017 is by reminding people that everyone needs Christ as their legal representative in God's court. And if you don't have that, you're lost. So let me ask you a question. What does your love for other people reveal about what you believe about Jesus? What does your care and concern for people who are different than you show about what you believe about their eternal souls? The reality is this. It's hard sometimes to love people that are different than us. Can I tell you where we're really feeling this? Some of us, starting with your pastor, it's sometimes hard to love people who differ with me politically. I didn't hear any amens there, but I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that you agree. It's difficult to love people and care for people who you find repulsive in some of the things that they believe. 
But can I tell you something very important? They need a high priest too. And it's not their resume, it's not their money, it's not their job, it's not their ability, it's not their good works. They need Jesus too. And if we ever lose sight of that, it's very easy for us to begin to see people as the problem, as something to be afraid of, rather than recognizing we're called to love those people, even ones that are different from us. Now, if I were writing this, this is where I would have ended this section. But John doesn't do that. If I were writing this, I would have ended on a high note. Jesus is the high priest. He's the one that we really need. He's got the authority. He's got the power. But John doesn't do that. He turns the camera back to Peter, and he does so for a very strategic reason. Look in your Bibles at verse 25 and see how John ends this account. It says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Peter, we pick back up where he left off. He's by this fire getting warmth with other officials from the high priest. And they casually ask him, they say, weren't you a disciple of Jesus? He denies it again, says no. He's got to keep his story straight. You see, the problem with lying is once you lie, you got to keep lying to keep it going. And then something very interesting happens. A, a relative of Malchus, who he'd, whose ear he'd cut off last week, comes to him and says, wait a minute. I know I've seen you someplace before. You were in the garden with Jesus. And after denying Jesus a third time, just as Jesus predicted, a rooster crows. Notice this. Both in the garden and under arrest, Peter has one of his disciples betraying him. And notice the depth of the betrayal. Not only is Peter denying Jesus, Peter's denying Jesus at the same time Jesus is saying, go talk to my disciples. They'll they'll bear witness about who I am. That's probably happening, chronologically speaking, about the same time. Not only is he betraying Jesus, he's undermining Jesus' authority. And how he's communicating. Now here's a question. Why does John end this section like this? Here's the answer. It's on the screen behind me. I think what John is saying is sin still remains. You see, Jesus has just dispatched the Jewish authorities as he stood before them. But as you'll remember, something else that showed up in the garden to oppose Jesus was sin. And what Peter is meant to show us, what John's showing us through Peter's life, 
is that though Jesus has defeated the Jewish authorities, he still has more work to do in defeating sin. See, because the only way Jesus is going to truly be our high priest is if he goes to a cruel cross and he dies in our place. See, as I said a moment ago, all of us stand guilty before God. We've lied. We've stolen. We've looked at people with hatred and lust in our hearts. And what the Bible says is because we've done those things, we deserve a penalty of death. And what Jesus is saying here is he's going to go to the cross, and when he hangs on that cross, he's going to take all of the punishment that should have been given to you and that should have been given to me because of my sin. And so watch this. Jesus is not just the high priest. Jesus is also the sacrifice. Jesus is not just the one that brings forth something to appease God's wrath towards our sin. Jesus himself is the spotless lamb that dies for you and dies for me. And when he resurrects again on the third day, Jesus stands victorious to say, you can be forgiven. Imagine going back to the OJ trial for a moment. Imagine that the verdict had gone differently. Imagine that the DNA evidence And some of the more scientific pieces of evidence convinced the jurors to convict O.J. of double homicide. And imagine with me for a moment, if you can, that Judge Ito says, this crime is so egregious, it's so plain that you did it, is that we're not just going to convict you, we're going to give you the death penalty, and in fact, you're going to receive the death penalty immediately. The bailiff walks over, puts the handcuffs on O.J., and begins to lead him to the gas chamber for execution. And right as O.J. is being taken away, imagine in your mind Johnny Cochran popping up out of his seat and saying, Wait! Wait! I've done everything I can to defend him. I failed, but I'll take O.J.'s place. Take those handcuffs off him. Put those handcuffs on me. And in a bizarre turn of events, they take the handcuffs off O.J. Simpson, put them on Johnny Cochran, and they lead him to execution, leaving O.J. Simpson to go free. Now, I don't know about you, but you have to have a pretty creative imagination to believe that. Why? Because he's a lawyer. Sorry if there are lawyers in the room. He's a lawyer. He's not going to defend his client like that. But what you and I need to see is that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for you and for me. We stand before God guilty. The evidence is there. We've confessed to the crime. We're on our way to the death sentence, to being executed. And right before we're led away, Jesus Christ stands up and says, I'll take their place. And what Jesus does for you and what Jesus does for me is he takes those handcuffs off our hands 
and he puts them on himself. And he stands before that firing squad, he stands before that gas chamber, and he takes the penalty that you and I should have gotten. I want you to know today that the reason Jesus is the true high priest is because he's the only one who offers his life as the sacrifice for your sins. The reason Jesus is the true high priest is because he's not only the priest, he's also the sacrifice. I'm going to ask you today to turn from your sin and trust Jesus alone. Picture your mind that you're in that courtroom. All of us are in God's courtroom trusting something to defend us. Some of us this morning are in God's courtroom trusting our good works, good things that we've done. Some of us might be trusting our dashingly good looks, although as I look at you, I don't think many of you are doing that, especially Nathan McCaleb over here. I love Nathan. Some of us are trusting our resumes or our bank accounts or our stuff, our accomplishments. But here's what I want you to know. Keep that mind's eye going of that courtroom. None of those things can defend you. None of those things can exonerate you from what you rightfully deserve. Only Jesus Christ can defend you. And so when I tell you that I'm going to ask you today to turn and trust Jesus, I'm saying trust the one, the only one who can defend you for the crimes you've committed. My prayer for us as we close is this, is that we would recognize that Jesus is the true high priest, and as we do that, that we would trust him alone. Would you please pray with me, church? Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the reality of your grace and your mercy, and Father, we thank you that you're not only our high priest, God, you are also the sacrifice for our sins. God, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their high priest. Lord, I pray that right now, Jesus, I pray now. God, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would free the chains of those in darkness, and you would show them that they need to turn and trust you. God, would you save people in this room today who do not know you?